Hey, this is Julie Mullins, co-senior pastor here at Christ Fellowship Church right here in South Florida. Whether you're across the street or across the world, thank you for taking time out of your busy week to join us for this message. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you to get more out of life. We are in the middle of a series entitled Take Back Your Life because we believe that for all of us, there are places in our life where we've lost some things. Places in our lives where something has been taken from you and it's actually time for you to get it back. As I was praying about this weekend and praying for this service, I really sensed the Lord say, Todd, you gotta teach my people how to fight. Now, some of you, um, you're actually pretty good at fighting. Like you, you probably fought on the way to church today. Hey. <laughs> You know how to fight with your spouse. You know how to fight with, with your boss. You know how to fight with your coworkers. Kids, you know how to fight with your brother or sister, but that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about knowing how to fight spiritually. Yes. See, what we have to understand is life is first and foremost spiritual. Now, there are many practical aspects of life, many physical parts of life, but that's not what life is. Life is spiritual. And you are primarily spiritual. You are first and foremost a spirit being. You're, you're not a, a human being that has a spirit, no. You are a spiritual being made in the image of spirit God, created to last and live for eternity, and you are currently having a human experience, and sometimes that is all we focus on. But can I tell you, when your human experience is over, you are not over. You've been created to live forever. When God created you, it says he planted eternity in your soul. So if you are first and foremost a spiritual being, you better learn how to fight spiritually or you're gonna lose at what really matters most. And as I was thinking, there's a lot of Christians that don't know how to fight spiritually. They know how to get on social media and spout off. They know how to fight with their boss, but they don't have a clue who their enemy is and how to take authority over their enemy. And so over these next couple of weeks, I wanna get you battle ready. I wanna get you prepared for the spiritual battle that you are currently in and that you are gonna be stepping into and that you will be able to walk with authority knowing who you are in Christ and what authority that you have. And let me just talk to the men for just a minute. Men, this is probably two of the most important messages that you'll ever hear. And here's why this is important for you, because I don't know a man in here or joining with us online or any of our locations today that would not stand up and defend their family or their kids or their spouse if they were under attack. Like, you lock the doors, you bolt it, you got the alarm set on your house. If anybody tries to break in, man, you are gonna take them out. Probably tries to hurt your kid, you're gonna take them, I'll take you out. But I want you to know you have a spiritual enemy that is constantly attacking your family, constantly attacking your home, trying to destroy your marriage. And many of us men don't know how to fight that enemy. I wanna get you battle ready to fight the enemy of your soul. 
I'm going to look at a passage of scripture today, and you got some notes when you came in, a note card at all of our locations. That's not just paper that we want you to leave on the ground. That is something that we want you to take and actually write down what the Spirit of God speaks to you, because we serve a speaking God. He's going to speak to you, so find something, a phone, something to write some notes down in, so you don't forget what God is trying to show you during this time, all right? I'm going to preach from a passage of scripture that I was not planning on preaching from when we started this series. But the closer and closer that we got to this weekend, I told the team, I said, I can't get away from this story. I've only taught from it one other time. It's found in the Old Testament. It's about a guy named David. Now, you know him as probably the David that fought Goliath or the David that was finally king, but this was kind of in the in-between time. He was on the run years after he had fought and defeated Goliath. He and his mighty men, about 600 of them, and their families were running from King Saul, who was persecuting them and trying to attack them. And while they were on the run from King Saul, they were actually having to fight every other enemy around, constantly being attacked and constantly fighting. And what we see in 1 Samuel 30 is David and his mighty men have been on a three-month military campaign, fighting battles everywhere. And they're on their way back home to their family and their, and their children to a town called Ziglag. And as they get close to the town, they see smoke billowing up over the horizon and they race towards the town to find all their family and children gone and their cattle and sheep gone, everything gone. And the city burned to the ground. And it says that the men wept bitterly. It looks in verse four, they wept until they could weep no more. Their strength was gone. David was greatly distressed for the people talked of stoning him because all the people were bitter in spirit, each over his sons and daughters being taken. But David encouraged himself in his God. So here's the picture. Out of nowhere, this disaster came upon them. They weren't planning for it. They couldn't have planned for it. They couldn't see it coming. And everything that they loved and everything that they held dear was was wiped out. And then they begin to turn on David, who's grieving as well who's lost the things closest to him, and now the people closest to him begin to turn on him and start to to blame him. You know David had to be going, hold up. Why why are you blaming me? I'll tell you why, because we like to blame people for stuff, don't we? Something goes wrong in our life, it's not our fault. It's my parents' fault, it's my upbringing, it's my childhood. It's my trauma, it's my past, it's this, it's that. We point, point we like about my spouse, it's my kids, it's my, it's all. We point to, every, we like to, we, we blame God. God, why are you letting this happen to me? We even blame ourselves, don't we? Like, I, I could have done better. I, if only I had been there, if only I had worked harder, if only I, if only I, if only I. Can I tell you, nobody wins when you play the blame game. Nobody wins when you play the blame game. But notice in this scripture, everybody's playing the blame game, but David. Look what it says, but David was doing something different in verse six. David, David, but David, say it with me out loud, encouraged himself in the Lord. Say that again, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Was he grieving? Absolutely. Was he mourning? Was he devastated? Yeah but he didn't stay there. He got up. He started to encourage himself in the Lord. And notice, I think it's significant that he encouraged himself in the Lord. Nobody else was encouraging him. They were wanting to stone him. So he encouraged himself in the Lord. He didn't expect anybody else to encourage him. 
He encouraged himself in the Lord. Can I tell you? You better learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Because there are going to be times when you is all you got. Like the praise team isn't going to be there going, they're the holy anointing. Nobody's going to be singing over you. I ain't going to be preaching over you. You're going to be by yourself at two in the morning fighting a battle. And you got to know how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Now, we know how David did it because we got the whole book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, many of them written by David, it was when he was being defeated and, and, and in battle weary and worn territory. But yet we see how he said, why so downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God. I know things are looking bad, but don't look at the things. Look up to God. Where does your help come from? Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So pick your eyes up. Man, look up. There were times that David reminded himself of, of when the, he defeated the lion and the bear that attacked his sheep. And God, you were there for me when that happened. And you were there for me when I faced Goliath, who was a whole lot bigger than I am. And God, this current problem is a whole lot bigger than I am, but it's not too big for you. You gotta learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Now your Bible version of that scripture might say he strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He didn't strengthen himself with another drink. He didn't strengthen himself with a pint of Ben and Jerry's, Dave. He didn't strengthen himself, I just need a, a, a me day, I need a me, no, no, he didn't, he didn't strengthen himself. With some, he actually turned to the one who could actually do something about the problem that he was facing. And I'm afraid, for all of you clapping, I'm afraid that too many of us are turning to something temporary every time we run into a dead end, or we're running on empty, or we're running a little bit low, we run to something temporary. And all we do get when we get that is a temporary fix. A little temporary hit. It's all we get. But what, can I tell you, when you turn to God, there is nothing temporary about what your God does. Your God strengthens, your God supplies, your God moves mountains, your God parts water so you can walk across on dry ground. He makes a way where there doesn't even look to be any way. That's what your God does. So you, here's what I know, here's what I know. If you can pick yourself up on the inside, Nobody can keep you down on the outside. If you can learn how to pick yourself up on the inside, nothing can keep you down on the inside. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. And then in verse eight, David asked God, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, God answers. You will certainly overtake them and you will succeed in the rescue. So God tells him, listen, you got this. David says, should I go? He says, yes, go. Go. Take back your life. Go get what was lost. I'm afraid some of us are waiting on God to do something that God is waiting on us to do. Go get back your, your family. Go get back that relationship. Go, go get back your joy. Don't just wait for somebody else to give it to you. Go get back your peace. Go, go get back that spiritual territory that has been lost in your family or in your home. Go get back your marriage. Go get back that God thing that has been taken from you because it's not somebody else's to take. It's been given to you by God. But you gotta go get it. Notice in this passage, God didn't go, well, I'll give it to you. He, he didn't say, well, I'm gonna make the Amalekites give it back to them. No, 
No, he said, David, you go, go get it. Go take back what is yours. And then in verse 16, David and his men, they find the Amalekites, the enemies that had taken everything, spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So David and his men rushed in among them, slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. And none of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. Look at that last line. David brought everything back. Can I help you to dream a little bit bigger than what you've been dreaming? To believe God for more than maybe you've been believing God for? Everything came back. Nothing great or small was missing. All of it came back. He got everything back. Don't settle for less than everything God has given you. Don't expect less than what God wants you to have and, and walk in. He got everything back. But what I want you to see is he had to fight for everything. They fought through the night. Look at that. The entire next day, all the way to the next evening. So that was at least 24 hours of hand-to-hand, nonstop combat. 24 hours of fighting without taking a break. Most of us don't know how to do spiritual warfare for 24 minutes, much less 24 hours fighting our enemy in prayer, fighting for what we know God has given us and our family and our future. And by the way, you have a real enemy. Jesus spent a lot of time warning us of our enemy. He said in John 10, your enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy. He wants to rob you of your joy. He wants to rob you of your peace. He wants to destroy your future. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your purpose. He, he comes against you. Jesus called him the adversary that stands against everything that God is wanting to do in your life. Everything that God is wanting to do through your life. He comes against all of that. So you have a real enemy. You better know that he's out to attack you. And in this story, look what the enemy stole from David. And by the way, it's the same attack on us today. He takes their peace, their possessions, and their people. He takes their peace, their possessions, and their, he takes their peace. Says that they wept bitterly until they could weep no more. He took away a peace, an inner peace. He took their possessions, the stuff that wasn't his to take. The enemy came in and they took everything that didn't belong to them. And most importantly, he took their people. He took their relationships. And can I tell you that God is a God of relationship. God is all about relationship, about your relationship with him. And then he wants you to have life giving relationships with the people around you. And the enemy is going to attack in those areas of your life to try to destroy your peace, your possessions, and your people. So you've got to fight to take back what has been lost. So how did we do that? Glad you asked. I'm gonna get practical for the next few minutes. Let's talk about peace. I don't have to try to convince you that there has been an all out attack of the enemy on people's peace. Peace of heart, peace of mind, peace of life, right? There's just, there's been an attack. The enemy is trying to fill you with anxiety. 
to get you to worry and fret about everything, like everything. And the news doesn't help because they make you worry about everything. Oh, you better worry about that. Oh, you better worry about what's happening over here in this country, in that nation, in this, and this, the border, and this, and that, oh, that, that mask, and that rule. That, I mean, there's, oh my gosh. Gets you to worry about everything. And the reason that this is a spiritual attack is because what the enemy is doing when he's causing you to be anxious and worried is to undermine your faith in God. Anxiety and worry is trying to convince you that your God can't handle the problem you're facing. So you better figure out a plan. Or maybe your God doesn't really care about you, doesn't care about what you're going through, so you better care about you, and you better care, and you better work it, and you better, and you better. It's all to try to get you to doubt God, to undermine your faith in God, that God is who he says he is, that God can do everything that he says he will do. And so the enemy attacks through anxiety and fear and worry. You know the verse in um, 2 Timothy 1.7, it says that, that God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So if God does not give you a spirit of fear, who's giving you the spirit of fear? It's not a hard question, people. <laughs> no, it's not, not a trick. It's the enemy. And it is a spirit of fear, a spirit of fear that comes to attack you at your point of trusting God. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to undermine your faith in God with fear. Fear is a spirit. So this attack of the enemy is a spiritual attack. And I've said before that um, fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. If I tolerate fear, my faith is gonna be contaminated. Because you can't have both fear and faith at the same time. You, you can't be saying, God of my present, God of my future, you're in the middle, you hold it all together. You can't be doing that and going, oh, it's falling all apart. It's just, it's awful, oh God, oh God. No, you, no, those two things don't go hand in hand. If you tolerate fear, it will contaminate your faith. So what do you do? Because all of us have to deal with what I'm talking about here. I'll tell you what we have to do. One of the verses that gives us a secret to how to spiritually fight when your peace is being taken from you is 2 Corinthians 10, five. Paul says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension, that word pretension is lie, that sets itself up against the knowledge, the truth of God. And say it with me, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. All right, there's a lot in that passage. If you can leave that up for me for a minute. First of all, you gotta recognize that your enemy is a liar. Your enemy is a liar. Jesus called him the father of all lies, trying to get you to doubt God, doubt his power, doubt his truth, doubt what this word says. So when those arguments come in, those pretensions come in, what we're supposed to do is take every thought captive. We don't just let our thoughts run. We just don't let our thoughts bounce around in our head. Well, what about that? Well, what if that? And if that happens, no, you don't do that. No, you, you take every thought captive and you make it obedient to Jesus Christ. So when the thought comes in, you're all alone. You don't have anybody. Nobody's gonna be with you anymore. No, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. My Bible says that my God will never leave me, never forsake me, never walk out of me, that he is a friend that stands closer than a brother. So I take that thought captive and I make it obedient to the word of God. When the enemy tries to tell you that your situation is hopeless, 
that your future looks hopeless, that life is hopeless. You remind him that I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a what? A hope and a future. You remind him of what Romans 15 says, that God is the God of all hope and that he will cause hope to overflow in our lives. So there's no situation that's too hopeless. I'm taking that thought captive by making it obedient. When he, when he attacks you and makes you worry about your finances and provision, you go, no, no, my God's gonna provide all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, my Lord. You take every thought captive, you make it obedient to Jesus Christ, and that's the way you spiritually fight the attack on your peace. Second area that we see is in the area of possessions. The enemy came in and took what wasn't his, and some of you over these last couple years, uh, your enemy has come in and taken something physical that isn't his to take, something that you worked on, something that you built, something that you created for years, your career, your business, and, and you look around and man, it's barely holding on and you, you feel like giving up. I, so I was praying, I wanted to tell somebody, don't give up, just get up, get back at it, man, go get what, what the enemy has taken. But there are others of you that the enemy hasn't taken anything from you, you just gave it to him. Can I just pastor you for a minute? Enemy didn't steal it. You took it out of your wallet and you just swiped it and swiped it and swiped it and tapped it and stuck it in. Woo, yeah, I need that. I need those shoes, need that car, need that phone, need that. Woo, woo. You, you, yeah. The enemy, enemy didn't take it from you. You just kept buying stuff you don't need with money you don't have. Put it on credit. And MasterCard is now your master. You're discovering what discover really costs you. You know what I'm saying? I, I believe there are three kinds of people in the world. The haves, the have-nots, and the have-not-yet-paid-for-it. And that last one, boy, it leads to bondage, doesn't it? Because you're buying stuff with money you don't have, thinking, I need this, and I've got to get that, and if I get it, then I'm going to feel better. And, and it's, it's binding you up. The most spiritual thing you can do is stop spending money you don't have. The most spiritual thing you do, some of you need plastic surgery. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about cut up some plastic cards. So I just say, we don't, I don't need that anymore in my life. I'm not gonna be controlled by that anymore. Now, now Jesus, he knew that this was going to be a problem for us, an attack on our mind and our thinking. And he says this over 2,000 years ago in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now we get that. Like, okay, we understand where he's going with this. And I remember as a kid, I understood this until he got to this next sentence. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. I mean, you would think he would say you cannot serve both God and the devil, right? But, but God and money? What you have to understand is in the original language, it's not just, it's not money. It actually is mammon. And mammon is more than just money. Mammon is a spirit of a false god. It's a spirit of mammon. It's an Aramaic word that came from the Syrian god of riches back in the day of Babylon. Babylon, Babylon found in Genesis 11 was the place where they built the Tower of Babel. And they built that Tower of Babel to say, we can get to God on our own. 
We can get to heaven on our own. We don't need God. So this comes from the same place that that came from. That spirit is still alive today. And the spirit of mammon, which is getting on, can get on money, will actually tell you, you don't need God. You can do it on your own. If you just make enough money, you're gonna be secure. If you just make enough money, you're gonna be happy. If you just make enough money, you'll have peace. If you just make enough money, you'll be respected. The spirit of mammon makes promises it cannot keep. Because God is the only one that can give you peace. God is the only one that can make your marriage great. God is the only one that can give you joy. God is the only one that can keep a family together, not money. Dear God, look at all around. Look at the people with money. They ain't got none of that. So we gotta be on guard about what the spirit of money will try to do to us. And I'm not just talking about people in debt because there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians that have a lot of money that are depending on the money instead of depending on God. Nothing wrong with having a lot of money. Look in the Bible, Abraham had a lot of money. Um, David had a lot of money. Solomon had a lot of money. Lazarus, the friend of Jesus who helped to financially care for his ministry had a lot of money. It's not about having money, it's making sure your money doesn't have you, right? Money's not the problem. Trusting in money is. is the problem. Because God doesn't want me to trust in anybody or anything else besides him every moment of every day. So how do we fight back in this area? Because it's something that affects all of us, regardless if you have a lot or you ain't got none. It's an area that, that we fight. The first thing is you gotta understand what God says about money and about possessions. And you've heard me say before that in this Bible, there are about 500 verses on faith, what faith is, how to get more of it, um, what, what prayer is, how to pray, what prayer does, 500 verses on faith, 500 verses on prayer, but there's over 2,000 verses on money and possessions. 2,000, more than four times as much than prayer. Why would God do that? Why would God talk about it that much unless God knows something that we don't know? You've heard me say that our possessions have the power to possess us. So we have to understand that where that belongs and where that goes. And so if you need help getting back control and fighting in this area and getting God's perspective about money, one of the practical things that we do at the church is we have a class called Financial Peace University. And we have helped thousands and thousands of people get a biblical understanding about money, what God says about it. And as a result, they've gotten themselves out of debt. They've paid off college loans, they've paid off uh, mortgages, they've paid off their cars, they're living completely debt-free. But Financial Peace University is not just for people that are struggling financially. It's actually to help all of us because some people, some of us are not struggling with debt, but we're spending it as fast as it's coming in. Like, where'd it go? I just got paid and it's already gone. What, I just, what, true, true, dear Lord, it's gone, right? And so Financial Peace University helps you gain spiritual authority back over your finances and don't let your finances control you, but you actually control it. And we got all that information along with lots of other resources. You can just text the word life to 441 and, and get all. Let me give you a verse and then we'll move on. Proverbs 21.5, plan carefully and you'll have plenty. If you act too quickly, you'll never have enough. Plan carefully and you'll have plenty. If you act too quickly, you'll never have enough. I, Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do when there's an attack is work the process. God is a God of order and process. Okay, third area. The third area that we've got to fight to take back 
what is ours, is the most important of all the areas. And it's, um, it's in our relationships. We gotta fight for our people, for the relationships that God has put in our lives. And I will tell you that what I have witnessed is this is the area where the enemy fights the hardest. It's in our relationships. And you know it's true. The place that I've seen the greatest loss, the greatest destruction, have been in relationships, in marriages and homes, siblings that won't talk to each other anymore, friends that get all turned around and upside down because of something that somebody said or somebody posted or something did, and all of a sudden, we're all offended, can't talk to each other. That's the enemy. Work in his work, don't let him work. Don't let him do what he's trying to do. Now I, I can't dig as deep into this as I need to today, so next week we're gonna spend a little more time in this area. I did that to get you back next week, sorry. And here's what I know, we've all got relationships in our lives where the enemy has been working overtime. And I, I wanna help you spiritually fight back to take back relationships that have been broken, that have been torn apart. God is a God of reconciliation. He merges and brings back together what has been torn apart. And he wants you to be a part of reconciling and reconciliation. Let me give you one verse that will help you in this area and then we'll dig into this more next week. Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood, which means too many of us are fighting the wrong enemy, right? We think that other person is the enemy. We think our spouse is the enemy. We think that guy at work is the enemy. We think our neighbor and their dog that goes in our yard, they're the enemy. No, they're not your enemy. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You have a spiritual battle on your hands, so you better know how to fight spiritually. Next week, we're gonna dive into Ephesians 6, which is an entire passage to help you fight the spiritual battle that we're in. But today, let me give you two challenges that have helped me in my spiritual fight, regardless of what battle I might find myself in. And I believe they're gonna help you this week. Number one, write this down. You gotta take the authority. You've got to understand the authority given to you in Christ, by Christ. Too many of us have left the authority sitting on the floor. We ought to fight from a place of authority. Romans chapter 16 tells us that the enemy is already under our feet. Why don't you fight from it that way? Right? He's under our, he's, I'm, right? Why don't we start there? It says in Ephesians 2, 6 that God has already raised us up with Christ and seated you in heavenly places, right? Because you belong to Jesus. That means you're already there. Not talking about heaven in that verse. Read the passage. He's talking about here and now because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. Why don't we start acting like that? Why don't we start praying like that? Already over it, already above it, already fighting that way, taking the authority over it. Like, I'm not gonna be frightened when my enemy comes at me because greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. Now, what you gotta see is that your authority is directly connected to your identity. Yes. 
Because you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you have a supernatural God-given authority in your life to fight the enemy. So take the authority. Now, if you don't have that new identity, then you don't have that authority. And you're gonna be beat up spiritually, walking around completely defeated all the time because your enemy is attacking you. And if you don't have that relationship with Jesus that gives you that new identity, in just a minute, I'm gonna pray and you're gonna be able to, to start there so that you can have that identity and walk in that authority. But let me talk to the rest of us that already have that identity, but you have left out the authority. Like you have not, you, you, you are not walking in the authority that is given to you by God. So when you're in a battle, you're like, oh, it's just rough. Oh, dear God, oh, pray for me, pray for me. The, bad, the enemy is just fighting so hard, I just need prayer. Is that how we respond? Or are we supposed to take authority? Say, enemy, you're not allowed. No, you have no authority in my marriage. You have no authority over my kids. You have no authority in my home. You have no authority over my thoughts. You have no place. I, I remove you from having any say in what's happening in my life, because you have no authority. So I take the authority away from the enemy over my life. Take the authority that has been given to you by Jesus Christ. Second challenge I have for you is to go on the attack. Go on the offense. David didn't sit around and hope to get something back. David went after what was taken from him. I want you to go after it this week. And I want you to start by making a list. I want you to write down the things that you need to get back. What is it that you need to get back? Is it your joy? Is it your peace? Is it a relationship that has been broken? Is it some financial loss? Is it a health issue? What is it that you're saying, no, 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 devil, you're not keeping that. You're not taking that away from me. You're not taking my kids away from me. You're not taking my relationships away from me. I'm not letting that, and just list it out. Just make the list. Write it out. Might be all those things you're gonna go after. And some of y'all need to do some homework, okay? This 35 minutes is not gonna get you where you need to go. You actually need to open up the Bible for yourself and learn how to eat the Word. Let the Word get in you, you get into the Word, the Word gets in you. You gotta do that for yourself. You gotta write some scriptures down, put them on your refrigerator, put them on the mirror, start declaring them this week. Walk around the house, your kids will think you're crazy. That's okay. They're gonna find Jesus because of it. Man, declare the Word of God. Some of you need to get into a prayer huddle. You need people praying with you over what you're fighting. Because you've been, you've been wondering why you've been so defeated and so discouraged. It's because you've been fighting alone. David didn't fight alone. When he went back after the Amalekites, his whole group of men went with him. They fought together. You were never created to fight alone. Find a prayer group. Get in a group. Say, I need somebody to pray with me, to fight alongside of me for what I'm fighting for. In fact, at the end of the service today, we're gonna to do things a little bit different. We're gonna give you some time. At the very, when we end, we're not over. Some of you need to join in prayer with somebody right now. Those of you online, you need to join in prayer in the chat room. You say, I need, I need some people to pray with me about this, to stand with me and to believe God. I want you to know that Julie and I love you and we are praying for you and we're praying that in this season that we are gonna take spiritual ground that has been lost to the enemy spiritual ground in our homes and in our families and in our lives. And you're gonna learn how to be battle ready for whatever the enemy tries to throw at you. I wanna pray two prayers as we close today. The first prayer is that we would understand our identity so we can take the authority as we fight, that you'd be strengthened in the battle that you're in. The second prayer I wanna pray for those of you that need to get that identity right. 
you don't really have that identity of being identified with Christ because you've never fully surrendered everything to him. But as you do, it's gonna put you in a place to win at life, to win at everything God has for you and to walk with God and to know him in a personal way. Would you bow your heads right where you are and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that teaches us, reminds us who we are. God, that we have been created to be victorious. We are, we are the overcomers already through Christ Jesus. We are seated with you in heavenly places. I pray, Lord, that every person here that is in you today would understand their identity and the authority that we have spiritually to fight the enemy that is coming against us. And I pray you'd encourage each one to keep fighting, to not give up, to keep moving forward, I pray. With every head bowed as we continue to pray, if you're here today and you would say, Todd, I, I, I need to get the relationship right because I don't know that my identity is really in Christ. The second prayer is for you. You're gonna pray to say, I want Christ to be Lord of my life. I want him to step in and make everything new on the inside of me and I will follow him. And if that's you and you say, Todd, include me in the second prayer, right where you are, would you just raise your hand? That's it. All our locations here at Gardens, hold them up high. Yeah, you're saying, I want everything God has for me. We're all gonna pray this out loud, but those of you with your hands up, this is your prayer today. So why don't you pray just a little bit louder. Just say this, say, dear Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord over my life. Forgive me of all my sins. I will follow you the best I know how for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you help me thank God for all those that made that decision today? God bless. Thank you again for spending time with us today. If you're looking to take a step in discovering the more that God has in store for you, just text the word podcast to the number 441-441 and then select the option that applies to you. And if you enjoyed this message, just make sure that you subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. A special thanks to all of you who so generously give to all that God is calling us to do together. It's really because of you that everything we do is possible. We'll see you right back here for next week's message.